becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Cheers! Welcome to the shores. Shores. That was kind of a. That's kind of stone. Simultaneous. Well, you were. <laughs> you set the the tone for that. I did. I did. Oh my God, man! Oh. <clears throat> yeah, dude. Shout out. Beto. Welcome to the shores. <laughs> I'm so gonna vote for Beto. <laughs> Oh man, I had the thought this morning. I was driving. I saw a Beto sign. There was a store up, like on, on the way of taking my kids to school, and there's a store that says selling Beto or O'Rourke or selling Beto gear, hats, shirts, all this stuff. And I was just, I just had this intense thought, like I'm just so sick and tired of politics. <laughs> totally. Beto gear? I don't want gear. Just <laughs> elect somebody and have that person do their damn job. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh. Uh, well, it has almost turned like, uh, you know, if you, well, I mean, if, I guess if you're wrapped up in it, it might not be as funny, but, uh, I almost see them as, as the new comedians, you know, it's just that they don't know they are the politicians. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Are they making jokes or are we la- just laughing at them? Just laughing at them. It's no. sort of like it would ma- they're actually really great SNL skits, but they don't know they're on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have talked about this before about how the world is becoming like a caricature of a caricature. Because the only thing that stands out anymore is the thing that is absurd. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be absurd for you to even notice it because there's so much to notice. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, oh <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that statement because it's like, like, I'm, you know, you and I are totally interested in like the world and, and all the goings on and yeah, we want like solutions and, but if I find it's funny because then I find, you know, people like Elon Musk or something like that. And just the hatred that's, you know, it's like you can argue all you want to about how much money is too much money and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, who's actually out there doing something, you yeah, know, and, right. and producing something and trying to make the world a better place? Are they perfect? No. Are they doing the right thing or whatever? It's like that could be argued, but like they're at least out there trying and putting their you know, skin right. in the game. You know? We do seem to have a penchant for, uh, hating regular people, mm-hmm. like regular people. Um, who was the person you just mentioned? Elon Musk. Yeah. Elon mm-hmm. Musk. He's, <laughs> who is that person? <laughs> he's not a regular guy, but he is like sort of just forthright and forthcoming and honest. And he mm-hmm. makes jokes and he thinks that being alive is fun, mm-hmm. you know, and he's actually doing something productive with his time and people hate him. Yeah. And sort of the same with Joe Rogan. Like Joe Rogan's just like a stand-up dude and, you know, gets things wrong sometimes and people are hating him for it. Yeah. Wow. Then that, that takes us into the, the, the miss dis or mal information. Oh gosh. I don't know if we want to jump into that one just yet, but <clears throat> I think we should at least at some point, I think oh, it's yeah, pretty totally. important. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess since we already broached the topic, we yeah. might as well breached or broached. I feel- <laughs> We're both. <laughs> I think it's, I think we talked about this before. Brooch is something you wear. It's like a pin on your garment. Yeah. You could wear it. You could wear it. You could, you could wear a breech. I don't think you can wear a breech. Um, yeah, we sound really intelligent right now. <laughs> I know. I know. But I feel like that's kind of the, you almost kind of have to laugh and, and not take this stuff so seriously because there's some things that are, kind of very serious that are kind of scary in a sense, you know, like kind of what's going on in Canada and, yeah. and um, stuff with uh, Joe Rogan and uh, kind of like free speech and mm-hmm. just how people are labeling, you know, people they disagree with. And it just seems you almost have to laugh. If not, it just is too dark. <laughs> Do you think most people experience it as, as being dark though? Like what's happening in Canada, for instance. Yeah. Well, I think but that I don't know. Um, yeah. My intuition is more and more people are starting to see like, oh, media is painting this as some sort of fringe element that is, you know, protesting. Well, and they're then they're in their language. They're talking to them as terrorists. You know, it's like, well, how can this large group of people 
be a terrorist. And I, I, I haven't seen any sort of, even on the mainstream media of any sort of, uh, besides maybe the honking and being annoying, you know, yeah, like any sort of like destruction happening. So I think this one is actually worth <clears throat> really paying attention to and talking through because I mm-hmm. think, you know, we've talked a lot about how words have been redefined a lot over the last two years. Um, you know, racism being a big one mm-hmm. and, um, they're redefined in order to be weaponized Mm. so that you can use them to sort of take down who you want to take down. And if you water down the word racism enough, you can kind of use it wherever you want and be somewhat justified. And that seems like that's what's happened. And that's, it's almost become trivialized and it's almost easy to just sort of accept that Mm -hmm. like racism has become trivialized, whatever you call me racist. I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that. And you might mean nothing. You might just mean that you don't like me, you know, mm-hmm. fine. Um, you know, and if I adopt your, your, the, the critical race theory lens of the world, it's like, well, to you, everything's racism, right? So there's no opportunity for me to not be racist. So really it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. It's like, okay. Or at least in my conversation to you, because your, your definition is so broad and so encompassing that I can't really have a conversation with you about right. this. Um, just to set the context, can you think of any other words that have been sort of <clears throat> redefined and trivialized? I mean, I think uh, white supremacy, white supremacy has been that way. Mm-hmm. Um, alt right, it's happening happening a lot with, um, yeah, alt right. Well, alt right's one of those ones. I don't know if it's that one has actually been protected from being redefined. It seems like. Well, it's everybody's it's, being accused of it, mm-hmm. but it seems like what it means has held. Oh, interesting. Well, I would almost say it changes the meaning in its in its context in that because so many more people are being defined as alt-right, like Joe Rogan, I mean, he's a great example of being defined as alt-right, but he's like at least left of center, if not further left right. than center. You know, it's like uh, Brett Weinstein, Eric Weinstein, even that person that, that I've seen, I saw a couple of these, um, a couple of journalists posting all the people that Joe Rogan has had on his podcast in the category of left or right. And they show like so many more people in the right category, but I think there was like just as many that were shown the right category as in, as in right wing that were actually left wing people. Mm -hmm. So even the, even the list they gave showed almost an even amount. And then they left out like Noam Chomsky. I mean, they left out like huge numbers of other people. Yeah. He's interviewed like thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Even and this, this was, yeah. And this was a list of like 35 people. Yeah. And but David it was, Backman was like, he's like, he's like, Hey, I'm on the left and Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting even to see him like, who's very progressive mm-hmm. say, Hey, I was on this show. <laughs> well, this is another one of those redefinitions though, because I imagine the person who put out that list would be like, well, you're actually right wing. That's mm-hmm. what you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, and make some point about how the entire political Overton window has moved so far left that, the people who thought they were left are actually right. So they're actually bad. Mm-hmm. And this is the redefinition of things in order to weaponize them against the people that you want to, to use your weapon against. Yeah. And even that kind of feels like you can kind of shirk that off, right? Like, Oh, some dude on Twitter thinks yeah. that Brett Weinstein is right wing. It's mm-hmm. like, that's so stupid. Yeah. You just kind of laugh it off. But what has happened in the last week is the same move, but with terrorism. Oh, And this is where, to me, like, I've had this pit in my stomach for the last week. Like, this one is scary. Mm -hmm. This one isn't trivial. We will put this in the the notes just so you can actually see it. It's on the Department of Homeland Security, which is absolutely insane. Yeah, so there's an episode of the Dark Horse podcast with Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hying, um, who you and I are both big fans of. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and they go into the, into this in detail. I would highly recommend listening to that, uh, episode. I think it's called, uh, just don't say anything, (laughs) but let's try to give the size and shape kind of overview of what it is. And it's really, it's, it's two things in conjunction. And one is a memo that was put out by the department of Homeland security, which was, it, it said its purpose was to address the growing threat of terrorism in this country. Um, both from abroad and domestic. And then it defined the threat of terrorism as being characterized by misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. Mm. And the definitions of these words is pretty important. Let are you pulling them. it up? Yeah, let me read yeah. them exactly as they are. Uh, so mis- misinformation is false. 
but not created or shared with intention of causing harm. Yeah. So that's misinformation. So misinformation would be like, um, well, so you could say like you could post on Twitter, uh, had COVID took ivermectin and was better in two days. Mm-hmm. And then you could, someone could say, well, that's misinformation because ivermectin doesn't work for COVID. Mm-hmm. You weren't trying to hurt anybody with that information, but it's wrong. And that's, so that's dangerous because it can mislead people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, disinformation is deliberately created to mislead harm or manipulate a person, social group, organization, or country. <laughs> this would be <clears throat> the steel dossier and the Russian collusion narrative that put forth by, well, we're now finding out, uh, the Clinton campaign mm-hmm. that's disinformation. Yeah. But you can't use, uh, uh, the Democrats for, uh, Oh, right. We'll get canceled for that. <laughs> Cause that's not disinformation. <laughs> <clears throat> Your disinformation. <laughs> and then, uh, malinformation is based on fact, but used out of context to mislead, harm, or manipulate. <clears throat> so these are the definitions of the what is characterized as the threat of terrorism in our country. <clears throat> and so it's that particular move. And the problem is misinformation, and they even acronym, made an acronym of it, MDM. Mm-hmm. So MDM, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, effectively covers everything. Yeah. Because, so it's misinformation if it's false, but you didn't know it was false. Mm-hmm. It's disinformation if it's false and you knew it was false. And it's malinformation if it's true and used out of context. And who defines context? And who defines context. So um, there's a a Twitter account called Defiant L's that you and I have been following for a while, which is um, just taking prominent, it, it will like screenshot prominent Twitter users and like their tweets from years ago you know, sometimes even months ago mm-hmm. and like a recent tweet that are just completely the opposite of one another. Yeah. Like I'll never take the, this, this, uh, this vaccine because it's been rushed through by Trump, by Trump. And then four months later, they're like, this is saving the world. And this is when Biden's in, uh, why won't these people, you know, wake up and take this vaccine just to pay. And so it's like, it's just interesting. They'll put those two tweets depending on who's the president. And right. Who's, yeah. So they, their account got, uh, suspended from Twitter mm-hmm. and this is a good information, a good example of how you could use the word malinformation as a threat and say mm-hmm. that that, well, that's malinformation because you're showing those two tweets out of context <clears throat> mm-hmm. and <laughs> the other context, which wouldn't be considered is that, well, <clears throat> we're showing the contradiction in these two tweets. Mm-hmm. That's the context. Yeah. Right. Um, but apparently that's enough to you know, censor the the people behind that account. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's the part is where, you know, you could call it malinformation in that, you know, so that person who said that they would never take the vaccines under Trump. And it was just, it's more of a, uh, a not trusting the Trump administration and that kind of stuff for these vaccines or make them look better, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But you could change it to where you say the context is, is that the science had changed by the time Biden took office. And so the context, they had it wrong in that you were trying to show that this person is contradictory in their belief of the vaccine being, you know, not a good thing under Trump, but a good thing under Biden. But the context is, is that science has changed that Biden here. So, so it's like, who's defining the context where really, You know, if, if, you know, just as a normal person, I would see it as like, oh, well, you don't like Trump. And so anything he comes up with, it's you're against Biden, anything that's going to support him, you're for. And so it's like, so who's going to determine that context of what you're right of what you're. uh... Yeah. So if you really think through these three definitions, there isn't really anything that couldn't be included under that umbrella, the MDM umbrella. Mm-hmm. Anything that you say could be considered mystis or malinformation mm-hmm. given the right interpretation and the right context and um, the right, well, given that the first two are differentiated based upon intent mm-hmm. and your state of knowledge at the time, it's like, well, who determines that? Yeah. Um, so that's, 
you know, it would be one thing to say, hey, these are things we need to watch out for in the modern world, in the internet-enabled world, but this isn't what was said. It, the Department of Homeland Security said that misdis and malinformation are characterizing the threat of terrorism in our country. Mm-hmm. It's the word terrorism. And then you, you combine that with another move that happened actually 10 years ago. And I didn't know about this mm. until this uh, Dark Horse podcast episode. But there was a, a big omnibus bill that was passed in 2012. Uh, signed in by Obama. And apparently in this bill, there are two provisions, section 1021 and 1022, which give the government the authority to detain indefinitely and without charge anyone determined to be involved in uh, terrorist activity. So the government has given itself the right to suspend the civil liberties of someone they deem to be involved in terrorism, hold them without charge indefinitely. So uh, functionally disappear that person, Mm -hmm. no trial, no court. And this sort of slipped by. No one knew about this, you know, as far as I didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. And you kind of think, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like somebody's involved in terrorism, like, you know, put them in gut or whatever, get Mm -hmm. them out. But now department of Homeland security has put out a new definition of what constitutes terrorism. And, well, it's everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how to look at that other than the government is now in a position to circumvent um, civil rights in the court of law and do whatever they want to do. And then, you know, it's like, like I would say to you is like, you're crazy, Matt. That's not what really sounds insane, happened. right? Yeah, it does. I, I, I even just like, wait, is this an Alex Jones podcast? Right. What, what? <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, but it's like <clears throat> you go read the documents. Yeah. It's right there. This isn't hidden. Well, I think there was something like too, is like in how that is like, uh, was there a oh, shit? Not as prepared in this area as I, I would like to be, but, um, so this might be misinformation, <laughs> but like the, the whole thing of like that it's only under how that, how president Obama's administration interprets that. Right. So, so it's you like, could say, I can't trust anybody else to interpret it correctly, but we're going to interpret it the right way. Right. So, but even that's like, even that is a sticky thing. Like that's how, why we have the bill of rights It's like, no, the government is here for us. We are not here for the government. So there's mm-hmm. certain, there's certain rights that are protected and it's protecting us from our very government because we know that, you know, you give governments too much power, you know, it's like there's a certain corruption that kind of comes and, and, uh, accumulation <laughs> yeah. what is of the power. Thing, uh, <clears throat> oh yeah. Absolute power. Corrupts, corrupts. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the whole thing. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Power corrupts and absolute power, power corrupts, corrupts. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, I think when, when, so like if you were to sort of rewind your brain to 2012 and this, this thing kind of passes under the radar and you don't think much about it because why would you? It's like, well, we trust Obama and the mm-hmm. administration and the wisdom and, um, you know, it's like on his face, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Cause like we all know what terrorism is and we all know mm-hmm. who the terrorists obviously are. Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward 10 years and you don't even, it's like, even if you knew about it back then, you probably wouldn't, you'd forgotten about it Yeah, because it was inconsequential. It hasn't mattered over the last 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And terrorism hasn't been all that much of a thing in the last 10 years, but here's now sort of, you know, I don't, it's like you could talk about it as like the completion of the puzzle or an additional piece to the puzzle or accidental too, or accidental, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe, maybe no one in government's even thinking of using it this way, mm-hmm. but the precedent is there now. And the way that we have had the tendency to, to so rapidly redefine and use words in order to achieve political gains or social gains and cultural gains, um, at, at, at it's such a brutal expense to other people and we don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, off with their heads. 
Yeah. He should definitely lose his job. Mm -hmm. You know, fuck that person. Yeah. You're not vaccinated. Yeah. You shouldn't even be able to buy groceries. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So we've set up a a cultural environment now, you know, whether on purpose or accidentally, it's like we're living in this time where there are sort of the unclean, um, unacceptable people. And whether you, you know, you can sort of, (laughs) there's like, there's like a, a, the own, its own game of intersectionality you can play with that group of people. It's like, Mm. are you anti-vax? Are you alt-right? Are you a Trumper? Are you, um, you know, a climate denier? Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of ways you can find to put somebody in that category. Yeah. And with most of them, you know, back to this idea of like some of these redefinitions are a bit trivial. You just kind of laugh them off. It's like a slight annoyance. Yeah. You know, in our culture, but this one, you're not going to be able to laugh off. Mm -hmm. So if we redefine the word terrorism and our laws are written harshly against terrorism, like as they should be, as they should be, then what or who is going to stop the ultimate inevitable action (coughs) of an everyday person being defined as a terrorist and disappeared into Gitmo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's terrifying. Yeah. So that happened. And then you see sort of simultaneously what's going on in Canada, which is and Australia and also, well, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen the terrorism thing there as much, oh, but I mean, yeah, Trudeau like, did come out and pretty, <clears throat> pretty explicit. I mean, he'd already called the freedom convoy bigots and racists and cultists, cultists, mm-hmm. but they just legally, using laws under terrorist provisions uh, have declared that protest illegal and authorized the seizure of their bank accounts Mm. under a law that describes them as terrorists. Now that's a scary move. Well, I think the part that's the scariest, like, so just the, the banking thing and, you know, the protest aspect of it, but Terrorism, terrorist does not mean what it used to mean today, you know, as far as like, um, you know, as far as like from what I just, and this is just a working definition that, uh, you know, over the years that I understood a terrorist to be, you know, is basically the destruction of a, uh, a people group or, or a country and that's like your main aim. Like that, that's what I thought of a terrorist. And again, this is just a, you know, uh, ignorant person who's like, you know, what's a terrorist? I'll be like, Oh, someone who wants to like blow up stuff and, and kill people that they disagree with, you know? And so, you know, then you, you come to this, uh, definition of terrorist. You're like, Whoa. So just a protest that you disagree with, that's terrorism. That's terrorism. Well, and I think actually COVID set the precedent for this mm. because the precedent set by COVID is anything that affects the public health mm. is deemed dangerous. I mean, rewind your mind all the way back to like Thanksgiving 2020. What was the headline? I think it was the, was it the Washington post put out about, um, Ron DeSantis's great experiment in uh, elder sacrifice hmm. because he wasn't actively preventing people from seeing their families on Thanksgiving. And they called it elder sacrifice. Yeah. Because the idea is that, well, you could have COVID and not know it and pass it and kill your grandparents. So anything you do is now potentially a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your freedom is potentially deadly to those around you. So you, you may not be free Mm -hmm. because the consequences are deadly to other people. And if you want freedom, well, you're a terrorist, Mm. you're, you know, or at least, uh, a reckless, indifferent to death, uh, individual. Yeah. That's a scary precedent to set up. Yeah. We've kind of been walking this line for a while. It's just, 
you know, as far as the divisiveness that we've seen, I mean, even like, I think when the Trump years where we've talked about this many times, like people not going to Thanksgiving dinner because maybe their parents voted for Trump or mm-hmm. vice versa or whatever it might be. And it's sort of like, no, this is family. You, you guys are different and you disagree about things. But the one thing you can agree on is you are family yeah. and you gather around a table among your differences. We share blood and that matters. And you, you celebrate and give thanks. Right. You know, it's like, and then however that shifted to like, you know, some sort of virtue signal as far as like, I'm, I'm unworthy, they're unworthy for my, of my accept or my attendance to this Thanksgiving meal or someone is unwill, unworthy to attend this because you think a certain way. You're in the group of the unclean Mm -hmm. and it would be dangerous for me to be around you because of that. Yeah. Or then I give you a platform or a, Mm -hmm. I, by my presence being at Thanksgiving, I am, uh, what do you call it? I'm affirming your, your point of view. So therefore you cannot come because I'm not going to be the one who affirms your point of view by having you at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's like time immemorial. No, Thanksgiving is messy. <laughs> you have the crazy uncle, <laughs> right, <laughs> you have the right. whatever, you know, it's like, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I was disturbed by it. I think the, well, the two most disturbing things to me about the, I don't even want to say sort of like governmental response. I'd rather say cultural response because people got behind this so much. Um, The two disturbing things were one. So it was like the messaging was one, whatever you do, definitely don't go see your family. Mm -hmm. Like BLM protests. You should definitely go to that. Mm. Thanksgiving with your family. Definitely not. Yeah. You're going to kill people. Mm -hmm. The other one is that the other disturbing thing is that, um, we have been absolutely tyrannical about removing uh, well anything good from the lives of our children. Oh, well, yeah. We've stolen their education. We've stolen their relationships. We've put masks on them. We've stolen their mobility. Um, I think it's just it's so awful. And these are like these are real like the two very very. Um, well, it shocked me so much because these are the two things that you would expect that a society would protect mm-hmm. children and family. Like I would expect that a society, if you attacked your, their children or their family, that would be the point where it's like, Nope, we're done. We're going to war with you. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't touch my children. You don't touch my family. And somehow culturally we were like, yeah, that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. We should do that. Um, and I don't know how we got to that point. But I think that whatever the indifference or cultural pathology that allowed us to have that response, not only to respond that way, but to champion it. Mm -hmm. And even those who, you know, might agree with me that that was a horrible thing. They're not speaking up very loudly. You know, in some States there's like Florida DeSantis is speaking out against these things and he's being attacked by all fronts on, you know, from the media. Um, but mostly it's like the, the major cultural response is, yeah, this is the right thing. This is the right thing to do. And then fast forward, I think we've all kind of agreed COVID is over. I think the, the last holdouts pushing the COVID narrative, pushing sort of uh, mandates and lockdowns and restrictions have been sort of the, the most left politicians and states. And they're pivoting now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it's polling so terribly. I don't think they can sustain on it. So they're going to shift away from it. I think COVID's over. Um, and it's also under the guise that the science has changed too. Like that's, I think that's a, uh, that's a, a narrative that I'm starting to kind of hear more <clears throat> and not that I'm again, not that the science can't change and that's what science does is it as you learn more information, but at the same time, <clears throat> you can definitely see this as a political move rather than a, Hey guys, you know, we've learned more and therefore here's, here's some new decisions that we're making because we're more informed, which I agree with that part, but right. It just feels so much more of a political move than it is an actual, the science. (laughs) Right. Well, I think it's always been that way Mm -hmm. with COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the part of the narrative that's going to stay 
is there are people whose actions are reckless and dangerous and deadly, and you need to be protected from those people. Mm -hmm. With COVID, it was sort of anyone and everyone at first, and then anyone who wouldn't wear a mask in certain situations, even though it didn't matter in other situations. And then it's people who go visit their family or don't want their children wearing masks in school. Um, but now that that whole thing is going to be beyond us, behind us, it's going to, we're going to have to, I think that narrative is going to have to be propagated forward with something else, mm. some other way in that sort of like intersectional way of putting people into the unclean category. Mm. And I think that unclean category is going to shift from COVID and left versus right. Well, this is my worry. I'll say okay. my worry is that it will shift to new definitions of terrorism. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess technically it kind of has already, which is, you know, this whole like, uh, miss dis and mal information. It's already kind of shifting, but again, that's a hard thing too, is like, you, you've also saw this with COVID that, you know, there was sort of like these narratives that are underlining these, this sort of public or mainstream media narrative where like, you know, well, Hey guys, like this might be coming out of this Wuhan viral Institute. You know, it's like, that's a good possibility. It's like, no, off the table, that's misinformation or disinformation. Mm -hmm. And then we're coming back, coming around to like, Oh wow, no, that actually is a viable type of uh, scenarios that it came out of Wuhan, you know? Right. So I think, um, oh, I forgot where I was going with this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. you're making the point that <clears throat> we're foolish really mm -hmm. to, describe things as mis misinformation yeah. because we don't really know, right? Like the culture accepts something as true or as untrue. And then we find out later, well, that wasn't actually the case. Yeah. And ho hopefully that's what science does for us mm -hmm. is it, it, it checks our assumptions and our biases and tells us what's true despite our unwillingness to see it. And these new definitions of terrorism have nothing to do with objectivity and mm -hmm. nothing to do and everything to do with interpretation mm. and they have nothing to do with what's true and false only with what it is that you'd like to do with true perceived true and false things. Mm -hmm. And what this memo from the DHS is saying is what we would like to do with what we perceive as true or false is define that as terrorism. So it really doesn't have anything to do with truth and it doesn't have anything to do with objectivity doesn't have anything to do with reality. It only has to do with the desire to label someone as a terrorist. And they've given themselves a broad enough definition, working definition to apply that to anyone that they wish to apply it to. Well, I think maybe I can go back to the point I was going to try to make that I forgot was just like the, it's such a lagging, sort of like as things move into the cultural awareness, you know, you, you, you make a lot of posturings and, and, uh, hypothesis and stuff like that. And then at, at some point it starts to kind of try itself out and then it makes it into the public consciousness. But if you, but if you're not allowing that process to happen, mm -hmm. then it's like, it never really, you're only getting a one-sided view of those who are, maintaining the narrative saying this is the narrative where if you have a dissenting voice saying, well, maybe not, or it's no, it's not mm -hmm. that it doesn't allow that to sort of like bubble into that, you know, uh, the more, um, larger consciousness of, of that, uh, of those people, you know, whether it be the United States or the world or, or whatever yeah. it might be. <clears throat> So it's like, and again, it's a lagging type thing. It's not something that, you know, there's a lot of things that I think you and I pick up from other people that they're already on the forefront of this and they already see or understand something. And then it takes us a while to kind of grab hold and, and like, oh, okay, what now? I don't know about this. And let me, let me kind of look into this a little bit more. And right. so it might take us a couple of months or something like that to be like, oh, wow. Or, you know, that's totally not right. Right. Know? Right. Well, and, and add 
it just occurs to me that one of the things that's so problematic about the world that we live in and which should give us pause about making, well, um, very, um, well, being sure about our judgment of things. Mm -hmm. For instance, the lab leak theory, Mm -hmm. you know, when it was first suggested and most likely because it was Trump who suggested it, that this virus sort of obviously came from the Wuhan lab. The response was, well, that's a racist thing to say. Um, that's a xenophobic thing to say. So absolutely not. We're going to fight for the other side of that story Mm -hmm. because we don't want to be racists and xenophobes, you know, and maybe rightfully so. Yeah. Um, but it was the, the, the response was so ardent that it was like, well, if you say that it might've come from the lab, that's misinformation. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want to layer on top of this an observation about our society that no one has any clue what to do with. And that is the fact that we all think we're seeing some sort of complete picture of the world, but we are absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And it's not so simple as, well, you know, it used to be kind of like, we live in Austin. My cousin lives in New York. Like we have very different experiences. We see the world in very different ways. And you sort of understand that because of localities and Mm -hmm. the weather is completely different. The, um, the way that you live your life because of that's very different. The cultures are very different. Population density. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But I think that the age of social media and the internet has lulled us into a false sense that we are seeing the world accurately. The, wor- the world at large. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until something really astounding happens in your life. And I'll, I, I'll make sense of that in a second that you realize that you absolutely live in a bubble. The internet that you see is not the internet that the guy next to you sees. Mm. And it has nothing to do with locality. Like you and I see completely different internets. Mm-hmm. Ours are likely more similar than, you know, maybe yours is to someone else because you and I spend so much time talking and researching about the same things. But, um, so this occurred to me, uh, when I was at work a couple days ago, I was having this conversation with a group of people about, um, all kinds of things, COVID politics, technology. Um, and someone said like very, like very strongly said, well, these COVID vaccines are probably the safest drugs ever invented by mankind. And, and he was ready to, to defend that all day long. And I thought, well, you know, okay, that's an interesting point to make. But it, it was astounding to me because in my bubble, no one says that that strongly. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're safe and effective. You should take it. Yes, I'm used to hearing that but not these are the safest drugs ever invented by mankind. I had not heard this before. And it reminded me, it's like it snapped me out of it. Like, oh, you're interfacing with a different world than I am. Hmm. And it's not because you want to, you know, or that I want to see a different world. It's that we are being shown a different world mm-hmm. by nature. And there's no way around this. This is why I say no one really knows what to do about it because there's simply so much content on social media that it would be unusable without some sort of filtering and prioritizing mechanism. And you can't do that yourself Mm -hmm. because it's too complicated. And so if the social media companies want you to use their products at all, they have to write the algorithms that decide what to show you. Otherwise you're not going to want to use them because it's just going to be all kinds of completely random, like seemingly random shit. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so we end up in these bubbles and so for any of us to think we know what's true and what's right and that that's going to remain true and right and not change based on, well, let's just say new information or changing science because things do change that way. Mm -hmm. It could also just be that you think you see a complete picture, but you don't. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and some new piece of information pierces your bubble and it's like, well, that changes everything. Yeah. So or to, just completely ignore it. One two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but so my point is like to be making these very extreme, um, <laughs> these very extreme decisions about whether people are good or bad 
moral or immoral, good or evil, whether they're in the in-group, the out-group, mm-hmm. the clean or the unclean, the left or the right, the, well, Mis- terrorist, or terrorist or not terrorist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That scares me because who has the ability to determine those things? Well, even, even in that sense, it's like, you know, I think in the, in the form of terrorists, it's sort of like, it's like, what is a terrorist in the most extreme form of a terrorist? And then there was some understanding of that. Yes. And then that kind of bleeds a little bit to where there's kind of this unknown. Yes, they could be a terrorist and they might not be a terrorist, you know? Um, and also like the whole adage that, you know, one man's freedom fire is another man's terrorist, you know? And so it's like, so we, I feel like we all kind of understood that there was this sort of gray area, you know, that someone could be labeled a terrorist, but from another perspective, they're a freedom fighter, hmm. you know? And, and well, I guess <laughs> from the ISIS perspective, they're all freedom fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Against the scourge of the West. That's, yeah. you know, that's, um, basically polluting the world, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. like, there's, so it's like from their point of view, it's like they're freedom fighters, you know? Well, which it's like, we could follow that road for a while and try mm-hmm. to like a- ask a question about like, how do you know that you, that you're on the side of the good, <laughs> right? Totally. But uh-huh. at the very least, if we're, you know, I kind of don't want to go down that road at the very least, it would seem like the reaction to that would be, well, if we think that it's better to be an American than a part of ISIS, mm-hmm. which I think we do. Mm-hmm. And that might be actually hard to justify if you want to get very ph- philosophical, you yeah. know, you, you can make the alternate case you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we believe that it's better to be an American than to be a member of ISIS, well, why is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it seems to me like the things that have set our culture up to where we're not a completely regressive culture based on actual patriarchy and misogyny and death and terrorism. We need to be maintaining things like free speech, mm-hmm. things like the constitution, things like the court system and the powers that be seem bent on destroying all of those things. Mm-hmm. Like literally all three of those things. Free speech has obviously been talked about a lot lately. What's free speech and what constitutes acceptable free speech and hate speech and all of that. And, you know, maybe that's an interesting conversation, but I've been a bit astounded over the past really couple of months that not only the court system has come under attack, but now the constitution itself, I've been seeing articles saying that the constitution itself is a, right-wing extremist talking point. Hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a scary move too. So we have all these moves that are seeking to remove civil liberties, civil rights, things we fought so hard, you know, up until very recently to achieve Mm -hmm. the things that make us who we are and not some, you know, like barbaric culture. Yeah we should at least defend those. Mm-hmm. But the power that it seems to be moving most strongly in our culture, um, not only doesn't want to defend them, actually wants to see them go. I don't know if you've been, I've, I follow this a little bit. I don't want to screw this up too much, but I think you've seen this in the evolution of the ACLU. Yes. It's like, ever that's since, been heartbreaking. Ever since I was a kid, I understood the ACLU as like, I'm not going to, I don't have to agree with you, but I will, I'll defend to the death your, your right to say that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm seeing, and this has happened again, I think over the last 10 or 15 years or whatever, but that even that sort of mandate that the ACLU always stood for in my mind is starting to shift or has shifted completely away from that. Yeah. And that's been really kind of disheartening because like, again, you know, I might not agree with somebody, but that's what kind of makes this work is that, you know, you can be a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, a Jew, uh, um, you know, Baha'i, whatever it might be. And it's like, 
none of those people agree with each other on some maybe basic tenets, Mormonism, you know, it's like, um, but at the same time it's like, we, we kind of value the individual here. There's a bill of rights that we protect the individual and that we're, but that we're kind of brings us all together. But once you start taking away those sort of like individual freedoms that we have and the rights for people to kind of express themselves in that way. And also, I mean, again, it kind of boils down to is like, you know, the whole thing we kind of picked up over the last couple of years is like your words are violence. Yeah. That, that's a complete, it's, <laughs> that's another one of those moves that it's annoying. Yeah. And then you kind of shirk it off. Mm-hmm. But the way things are, the way things are being set up all around, it's yeah. like, well, oh, well, hold up though. Did we agree to that? Because if words are actually violence, if, information is actually terrorism. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the appropriate response to that? Yeah. Actual violence, actual terrorism. Maybe Mm -hmm. now we're really screwed. Yeah. Well, again, like growing up, you know, I feel like in our generation is like sticks and stones may hurt, may break my bone, may may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because even that phrase, like I remember as a kid thinking, well, that's obviously bullshit. Yeah. You know, totally. like words hurt a lot, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but that wasn't the point of the saying. Uh-uh. The saying is there's a difference between having your feelings hurt and having your body Physical hurt. Violence, yeah. And it's actually an important difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, well, <laughs> it's not that one is well, I think it is. One is worse than the other mm-hmm. because it's one thing to be incapacitated bodily. Mm-hmm. It's another to have your feelings hurt. Yeah. And that's not to diminish it. They're different, right? It's maybe comparing apples to oranges, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a call for us to be strong well, in, I, in the face of, well, those who would make petty attempts to hurt our feelings. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what you say. It's like, you don't say that to a, a girlfriend who breaks up with you, breaks your heart, you know, mm-hmm. like sticks and stones break my bones, <laughs> but words will never hurt me. You know, uh-huh. You say it to the bully who's hurling insults on the playground. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, yeah, you're saying some bullshit stuff. Yeah. That I could take offense to, but I'm not because yeah. you're not you worth just, the time. You just called me a pussy. It's like, yeah, okay, it's not worth the time. Fine. Like, you want to actually, matter? you yeah. actually want to fight me? Yeah. Then, okay. Mm-hmm. Then we can get, I'm, I'm going to be obligated to respond to you. Mm-hmm. But so long as you're only hurling words, I'm not obligated to respond to you mm-hmm. because you don't, you're not worth my attention. Yeah. It's like, that's what the thing is saying. But if we redefine violence as speech, if speech is violence, I think we, well, we stand to be very confused. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too, there's a sort of like reaction because I think the same, the same thoughts, I, I mean, I have the same ideas, like, you know, words do hurt, you mm-hmm. know, it's like there's, there's something valid to that. And so there's a sort of correction to it. It's like, no, you know, what you say does have an impact on people and you need to be careful about what you say but there's a difference between shifting from like, Hey, you need to be aware of what you say. And you know, that does hurt, hurt people to words are violence. Like, like that's, that's, that's such a strong word violence. Like words are hurtful, you know, uh, but they're not violence. And, And then you can always go for some more extreme examples of like, you know, maybe parents who, uh, verbally abuse their kids, you know, it's like you, you definitely can see that there's, there's, there's some examples that can kind of more start to move into that realm of violence, you know, because like an adult verbally abusing a child, Mm -hmm. there is a certain, like you can almost make that jump to that is violence, but it's, it's not, it's, it becomes more of a metaphor than it is Mm a, well, and I think a a, um, a very desirable and functional metaphor, like if you and I have a disagreement and we are articulate enough mm-hmm. to resolve that disagreement with our words, that's yeah. a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Because if we're not, and the thing we disagree on is important enough, let's say, uh, um, let's, let's say a woman, mm-hmm. let's say even more, the woman has a child. And you and I disagree on whose it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, well, we're going to come to resolution about that. Mm-hmm. 
And either we're going to use words to do that, and that might be argument and yelling and insults hurling and all of that. But if we can't use our words to do it, how are we going to resolve that? Yeah. It's going to be who's stronger. Yeah. That's going to make the decision. Yeah. I feel like you're challenging me right now. I might be. <laughs> That's awesome. Bloodlust in my <laughs> eyes. The UFC right here. Short well, but this is, I think this is the, this is maybe at least one fundamental case for free speech, which is if we're not allowed to say what we think and work things out with our words, well, what are we left to do? Mm-hmm. Well, actual violence. Yeah. Bloody violence. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing, maybe if it's just you and I, it's another thing. It's like, how many stories do we have about this? Like if it's the bloods and the crips, if mm-hmm. it's the, the West side story gangs, if it's, um, East side, West side yeah. rappers and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Or nation versus nation, tribe versus tribe, left versus right. I mean, we talk so much in, um, um, foreign policy about diplomacy. Well, we're going to solve with, solve this with diplomacy and you sort of, everyone agrees, well, that would be better, right? Than war. This is why it's important to have free speech. Yeah. Because if you can't solve things with your words, you have to solve them with your body. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not a have to, it's just inevitable. Yeah. But again, I think that's, we start blurring those lines and we don't really understand the difference between the two, like, like war or violence and war versus violence and verbiage. It's like, you cannot, you cannot bl- like blend those, those two things together because they are very different. One is actual death and one is mm-hmm. emotional or psychological. But this is actually what scares me about all of these redefinitions is because if I'm to think about the motive of somebody who says speech is violence, mm-hmm. words are violence. I can't, I can't decide whether, what other motive to assign to that person other than you wish to do actual violence, but I'm not being violent toward you. Mm. So you're going to construe my words as violence so that you feel justified in being actually violent. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think that that is the same move with racism mm-hmm. and now the same move with terrorism. Well, even the idea of like punch Nazis, you know, it's like the, the word Nazi has been so overblown that mm-hmm. it doesn't really incorporate actual Nazis. Right. And so it's like, it, it, it almost moved into punch anybody who disagrees with you. Right. But you label them as a Nazi and therefore you're justified in the punching. Yeah. Which is physical violence, you right. know, or burning a building or riots or whatever it might be. You're justified because of the violence, the verbal or the, the, the ideological um, differences are, are so different that you've justified that sort of more physical violence than battling in the ideological right. realm. So it's a redefinition of things in order that you can feel justified in doing what it is that you actually want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, again, something of annoy- an annoyance and an inconvenience when it's racism or even words or violence mm-hmm. um, or alt-right or what are the other, you know, unvaxxed, anti-vax or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like people say anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. Yeah. I'm not vaccinated with the COVID vaccine, but I'm not anti-vax. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm not going to make that case. It's like, whatever. I'm, it's annoying. Yeah. But. Which is also the place you have to be to, too, is like, I mean, it's like, it's like, I'm not against vaccines. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, it's not, it's not worth my time to mess with you because right. like, it's just, you're, you're being absurd. Well, but it, it's exactly, which is the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, you can, you can be upset at me and hurl insults at me about being an anti-vaxxer. I'm not. Yeah. And obviously you don't want to have the conversation, so I'm not going to engage on that. I'm just going to say, you know, Hey, disagree, whatever, yeah. go my, go my separate way. Mm-hmm. But when, when this move starts going into terrorism and laws applying to it, you don't get to just go your separate way Mm. because the precedent is now set that you can, well, the thing that makes the West, the West that allows you to go your separate way is (laughs) the constitution (laughs) and the court system. Mm -hmm. Like 
you can't be picked up on the side of the street without charge and held. Mm-hmm. Like we take this for granted in the West. I think we all walk around feeling completely safe or, you know, the vast majority of us, mm-hmm. because we know that unless we've broken the law, there's no reason for the police to come put us behind bars. Mm-hmm. And if the police do put us behind bars, we have the right to a lawyer, the right to plead the fifth, mm-hmm. the right to a fair trial by a jury of our peers. It's like, even if we're falsely accused, I think most of us feel pretty confident the system's going to work in our favor. Mm-hmm. Even with its uh, inconsistencies Even with its or problems. problems. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but with this new definition of terrorism and the provision being that in the case of perceived terrorism, the government has the ability to pick you up without charge and hold you indefinitely mm-hmm. without a trial. Yeah. That is the absolute destruction of what has made the West the West. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. That's not trivial. That's not an inconvenience. That's your life. We even see like right now in Canada with like a, a things like four or five provinces that have sort of like, nope, we're going to stay, stay away from the vaccine mandates and the mass stuff. They're, they're starting to kind of shift. And, and so you kind of see that sort of awakening kind of happening in Canada and um, there's a prominent guy and I forgot his name who's suing. Oh, he, oh, he was part of the, I think it was like 1981 uh, council that, that kind of helped shaped sort of like their bill of rights. And I forget what it's called in Canada. And like, he's suing Canada saying like, this is not suing the government because it's not in line with those sort of uh, bill of rights that they have there. And again, I, I probably brought something up that I'm not as, as versed in, but um, I think it's something that <clears throat> that you can even see that sort of pushback that's starting to happen, but it's not really mainstream in that that part's not really being as publicized that there's a pushback. It's not just the truckers. There's also like four or five provinces in Canada that are saying, okay, we've kind of gone too far. Mm-hmm. We need to come back. Right. But that's not the narrative that's really being discussed or, or shown. I, I would think very few people see that. I think most people would see this, this trucker thing as sort of the way it's being framed as sort of cultist cultish or uh, a, a small minority of people. And, and again, it's one of those things in about three or four months from now, we're going to see as like, Oh wow, this wasn't a minority of people. Yeah. This is, this is a, a greater majority of Canadians speaking out against something that, you know, they feel that, they're being taken advantage, you yeah, know, and right. un- unrightfully almost pr- imprisoned. <laughs> mm-hmm. hmm. Well, I don't know <laughs> where to take this yeah. other than this thought of like, to the extent that something seems trivial and inconvenient and annoying. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people have been saying this for a couple of years and it's feeling really true to me now, even more so that Mm -hmm. like speak up about that. And that's, and that's its own level of annoying, um, to do and and endangers your relationships and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe even your job and your family. But if you don't do it, I think I think maybe we've laid the case that these redefinitions can go from annoying to life alteringly bad. Mm -hmm. So push back and you also disagree. You don't have to know. You don't have to be, (laughs) yeah, you don't have to be, you don't have to be right. You can be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. We have freedom of speech. So use it while you can. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And also that, I think that's the part of it too is like, going into it with an open mind and being willing to be wrong. Well, so maybe that's another thing that this MDM thing, or even just the proliferation of the word misinformation has done to us over the last two years. I think people are legitimately worried about spreading misinformation. And so it's much easier just to be quiet, Yeah, you know, and wait for a quote unquote expert to tell, to say what something is, Mm -hmm. which is another just 
bewildering term to me, expert. Who, yeah. who are the experts that you're referring to? Or what group of experts yeah, are you referring right. to? Yeah. Yeah. And you got to, it's all, it's all so manipulative. It's like the story, you know, when, when they first went after Joe Rogan about spreading COVID misinformation mm-hmm. and there was all these headlines about like 270 doctors have signed an open letter condemning Joe Rogan for spreading deadly COVID misinformation. And then it was like the next day someone went and looked and it was like 150 of the people who signed the letter weren't even doctors, <laughs> you know? So it's like, what am I supposed to make of that? And there was another group of 17,000 doctors uh-huh. who supported him, but that didn't make the cut into the narrative. So um, I think we've set up an environment where people feel like maybe one of the worst things you can do is spread informi- misinformation, but it's okay to be wrong. Yeah. Actually, you need to be wrong because how else will you know? I mean, you could wait around for someone, you, you know, you could not risk speaking up and thus save yourself from being wrong. Mm -hmm. And then you won't know what you think. You won't know if you're right or wrong. You'll be left in a sense, a state of purgatory waiting for someone to tell you. And do you really trust, you know, the institutions to tell you about everything in your life, the way that things are and the way that things should be like, no, you will die. Like you will shrivel away because the thing that makes you, you, the thing that makes you, human is is your your creative individual spirit Mm. like you have identity you are you are solid you are something you have something to say and part of being who you are means being wrong sometimes yeah that's part of discovering who you are and if they try to take that from you fight that because you can't know who you are without being wrong sometimes which makes me think of like for the MDM, you know, misinformation, disinformation or malinformation. It's like really the disinformation is the one I can kind of understand more clearly, you know, it's using like, lies to manipulate people. Yeah. It's deliberately create created to mislead, harm, manipulate a person, social group, organization or country. And again, this can be interpreted in many ways, but but I can kind of understand this. If you're going to deliberately make up something to actually cause harm, like that is your intention to cause harm. It's like, it's like, yeah, we should fight that. But you know, it's not with less speech it's with more speech. It's like, if someone's out there telling you that, you know, uh, you know, something is the best, like, uh, the best thing ever. It's like, well, it's like, is it, if it's the best thing ever, then great you know but like if it's not then let's figure out why it is or why it is not and and expose somebody who is you know sort of explore expose or um who's speaking sort of this um disinformation it's like expose that you know it's like i think Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with exposing disinformation but the thing is is like if it's misinformation or malinformation you know we need to look at the context of things, mm-hmm. you know, that's very important. And something you and I are always struggling with is like, okay, what's the context of this? You know, um, here's what I understand so far, which could be misinformation. You know, it's like, there's, there's that, there's that sort of exploratory aspect that you don't have all that you need. And nobody does, right. not even the experts have all that they need. Right. They have a part of it. And we need, we need these different aspects to, to talk and to speak and to be challenged, mm-hmm. but not silenced. Hmm. Yeah, we need to be able to operate as a whole mm-hmm. on the shores of ignorance. <laughs> totally, we need all be on the shores. <laughs> well, and you need the whole picture. Like, there is no shore without the island, mm-hmm. and there is no shore without the ocean. Yeah. So, well, you need the institutions. Mm-hmm. You need the experts. Yeah. You need the the uh heretics mm-hmm. you need the dissidents this is how we discover new things because the institutions and the experts they're on the island they're not interested in discovering new things mm-hmm. you know not really not like the frontiersmen you know they're not out in the wild mm-hmm. you know like i i think this is another move is like we have this idea that science happens in a lab yeah you know, with experts, controlled environments. It's like, no, the world is a wild place. It exists in the wild. 
you find new things in the wild. Mm -hmm. Not to say that new things aren't found in the lab, but you need both. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Should we end it there? I think so. I okay. know. We, we kind of went all over the place with that. It was, it was good, I think. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. It was good for me. Was it good for you? It was good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks for coming out to the yeah. shores. It's always a joy and uh, exploring the unknown and, and what we know. So, Love it. Love it. Love you all. Cheers. Good night. Good night.